0: So this evening, I like to look a little at what we were cultivating, practicing today, this being aware of the feeling tone. And this is something which we, as Stephen mentioned, this is the second of the four foundations of mindfulness, to be aware of the Vedana, of the feeling tone and the Buddha again and again mentioned them and it seems to me one of the reasons for that is because the feeling tone really determines a lot of what we do what we say, how we act and we often have a very automatic response reaction to feeling certain feeling tones Recently, I had this experience which really um, showed me this even more clearly. So, old girl, we go together, we took my mother shopping for the sale, this is uh, months ago. We found what she wanted, and we come back, and we have a very good time. So, in a way, we're experiencing pleasant feeling too. But then, because of all doing this, and it working so well, and getting kind of, you know, lots of energy and things, I come back and decide, since we have all this new stuff, let's clear a cupboard and, you know, do a major thing. And by that time, my mother with 86, was a little, you know, and so me doing that on top of it, she was even more so. And then I realized it, but then I had started, so I finished, and blah, blah, blah. And then she went to rest. And then, a few hours passed, and I was feeling funny. And a certain thing I was saying, a certain thing I was doing, a bit strange. And I thought, what's going on? So I kind of really looked. And I realized that what happened is that in a way, when I realized my mistake, that turned into unpleasant feeling tone. But then those unpleasant feeling tone started to seep into something else, which has nothing whatsoever with to do with the condition that produced the negative feeling tone. And this is why I think And once I saw it, then I kind of uh, let it be, and everything changed. But what was really important for me to see is that, that automatic reaction to the feeling tone, and how if we have uh, especially an unpleasant feeling tone, it can really sip, it can really go in places. In a way, it doesn't need to go. But because we feel a negative feeling tone, it's like it has to go somewhere. And then this go into other people, other situations, which have nothing to do with it. And that's why I think it seems to be really important, that awareness of the feeling tone. So then we start to recognize pleasant feeling tone, unpleasant feeling tone, neutral feeling tone so that we can then recognize, in a way, do we creatively respond, creatively engage, or do we react, and where is this reaction taking us? So I'll start with a quote from the Buddha. Depending on eyes and visible focus, visual consciousness arises, the meeting of the three is contact. With contact as condition, there arises pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling. Tone. One can make an end to suffering by abandoning the underlying tendencies to grasp at pleasant feeling, to resist unpleasant feeling, and to ignore neutral feeling tone. So, in a way the problem is not in the feeling tone but the problem in a way is with our reaction to the feeling tone so of course the Buddha starts to talk, you know, we have the senses we come into contact with the world and then there is a feeling tone, it's kind of like very contact, feeling tone, it goes quite far and then In a way, when we have pleasant feeling tone, then there is a strong tendency to grasp at it. A pleasant feeling tone to resist them. and neutral feeling tone to ignore them. And in a way, pleasant feeling tone. What happens if we experience pleasant feeling tone? A lot of the time, we want more of it. We want it to continue. We want it to repeat itself. You know, like, it's interesting, you just have done something which creates, produce pleasant feeling to And what do you say? Let's do it again. You go to, you go to a play, you go to uh, a movie, you go to see a beautiful place. And generally the tendency is, oh, let's do this again. It was so pleasant, let's do this again. And basically what we're saying is that, Let's do the same thing so we can reproduce exactly the same pleasant feeling too. And Then sometimes we do it again and it is there. Sometimes it does not, like me and the Cusco. <laughs> you might not necessarily get it. But it doesn't mean we cannot get another pleasant feeling tone. But to pro- reproduce exactly the same one, that's tricky. I remember many years ago when my niece was uh, much younger and she was staying with us, uh, a summer staying with my mother downstairs, and we just, you know, resting and listening to some music, I think it was possibly Brahms or Schubert or something like that. And she burst into the sitting room and sees us sitting there listening to the music and says, I am going today. And here she goes, you know, to the music, and you know. And the only thing that was needed is for her to look at, to to check that we were looking. And we were really looking. It was really a beautiful moment, very pleasant, I think, for the three of us to be together. And then, you know, after 30 minutes, she said, OK, I'm going to eat, and she disappeared. And then the next morning she comes up and she says, Oh, Auntie, let's put the music on so that we would listen to the same music so that I can do the dance, so that I can experience the same pleasant feeling. So I put the same music, she said, No. I mean, I, I put several different things, but it was not the same because it was a different moment. So it's just to see that the problem is not with the pleasant feeling, but as the Buddha says, it's kind of like the grasping at it, the kind of the wanting to repeat it, or wanting more of it. And also, so in a way the idea in terms of the creative engagement is how can we be, and to me that's important, how can we be present to our pleasant feeling to so that actually we know right now i am fine that i think is very important to really experience it to really note it and to not take it just for granted because often we think this should be you know this is kind of like the baseline the pleasant feeling tone you know that's the way it should be and then if that's the baseline everything else is not so good instead of when you there is a pleasant feeling tone mm, At the same time, knowing at some point, it will change, it's impermanent. But while it's there, I can enjoy it, I can appreciate it, I possibly can share it also with others. But then there is another thing we do, is that we grasp at an imaginary pleasant feeling talk. And that, in a way, the little problem we get is, uh, I did not mention yesterday, is grasping at something that's not there. (coughs) And we often do this. We are in our circumstances, which might be fine or not fine or whatever. And then we say, but if only I had this and that, then I would have a superior pleasant feeling too, you know. If only I did not have a pain in the back, I could meditate. If only there were a better teacher, I surely could be more awakened, you know, or whatever it is. And the problem with that is that then we have this imagined thing, this obtru- abstract thing, which would, you know, hopefully give us pleasant feeling too. But compared to this abstract, pleasant feeling, tone, what I'm experiencing now, is second-rate. And then, if we do this a lot, we are actually grasping at something that is not there, and in a way depreciating what is there. And that I think often can create quite a lot of suffering. So we need to be, it doesn't mean we cannot hope for changing circumstances and having a different life and more opportunity or more happiness, but to see is it an aspiration which then is going to help you to move, to give you energy, or is it an expectation and then you compare what's going on now to what should be, and then that generally makes you frustrated. I think this is a problem with grasping at the imaginary pleasant feeling tone that generally leads to frustration and then we cannot appreciate what is here now then you have unpleasant feeling tone and unpleasant we don't like it as the Buddha said we resist it we don't want it and it has this more than that, it has this (laughs) insidious, kind of like it really takes us very quickly in negative states. I think this is something, we feel a, a negative feeling tone, and to me that's part of the meditation process, is to be able to be with it. It doesn't mean that we look for it, it doesn't mean that unpleasant feeling tone is good for you, I don't think that. But I think we need to not either flee from it straight away or be so caught in it that then it spreads everywhere and then you get in a bad mood and then everybody gets it. But you see, okay. It doesn't feel, I mean, it it feels unpleasant. And I agree. Unpleasantness is not pleasant. I mean, you know, this is, uh, you know, of course. But how can we not grasp at it so that we don't again proliferate or exaggerate? I think this is a problem with the unpleasant feeling, Tony, that very quickly we proliferate and we exaggerate with it. And so in a way it's kind of like how can we learn in a way to see that yes, they arise, right, but that these unpleasant feeling tone are conditional, they are impermanent, and so instead of being frightened of them, or overtaken by them, to me this is in a way one of the things we can do with uh, meditation is, how can I creatively engage when I experience unpleasant feeling tone, how can I be with them, how can I be with them when they are light, which of course is the easiest place, easiest level, how can I be with them when they seem to be repetitive, that time to time I experience unpleasant feeling thoughts. And then quickly we have this impression it's always like this, instead of it's time to time, maybe because of some mental condition or emotional condition or physical condition or circumstances. Sometimes we have difficulties, sometimes we have difficult circumstances. then there is unpleasant feeling tone. And how can we creatively engage with it? To me, this is in a way really part of the practice. But also, but also with unpleasant feeling tone. Just like with pleasant, sometimes we reject in advance unpleasant feelings which are not here now. So now it's okay, pleasant or neutral. But we're so worried. But if this happen and that happens, I will feel so bad. Then it will be terrible. I mean, that's recently I had a friend who, had, she was really, uh, in the grip of that you know, that she was relatively okay now, but just thinking about if this happened and that happened and that happened and then you know it will be bad and I will not feel but by doing, acting upon the future unpleasant, she was going to do something now which actually was going to create a lot, I think, of even worse unpleasant feeling than in the future. I was kind of seeing it going there And so in a way to see that if they're not there, of course we can prepare, we must be careful of this or that, or this might happen, or that might happen. But to be careful that if we, again, grasp at it in the future unpleasant feeling tone, you'll have the same thing. The proliferation, the exaggeration, and then it really becomes very big, and with the intent unpleasant feeling, too. and again I think it's a question of seeing, it's condition, it came out of condition, and what is it I can do about it, do I just have to be with it because I really cannot do anything, or can I engage, can I find ways, so I think it's very important to see that this creative engagement is not just about doing nothing just being with it, but actually it's kind of trying to know it, trying to engage with it, trying to engage with the experience, and see, can I do something about it or not? And because with each, it will be in a way a different engagement. And then, you have the neutral, and I am a great fan of the neutral and because it seems to me that the neutral and that's what the buddha says and not to ignore neutral feeling or i would say nowadays not for kind of to have uh, i think neutral has very bad press nowadays you know but what does neutral mean because neutral generally nowadays is it's boring i am bored life is boring, and from that, life is meaningless, and it's not fun, and then you can get a really, really unpleasant feeling too, very quickly from neutral. And I think this is, in a way, the challenge of meditation, because I think a lot on a meditation retreat, a lot of the time, what you experience is neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And that's why sometimes people say, oh, meditation is boring. Well, personally, I would say, well, it's restful. Nothing happens. Nothing bad is happening. Sorry, already something. And so in a way, to, to see the neutral as actually more kind of like restful, but actually it's just kind of like just being at ease, being at peace, just restful. And from that, I think it makes a very different relationship with neutral. And also to see in terms of the baseline. Because well, you see, if you think the baseline is pleasant, especially if you think the baseline is pleasant number five, then you only have five to go up. And then the rest, you know, is unpleasant. But if you have, baseline neutral, I mean, you can go up 10, and you know, and you'll go less down, and so I think, to me, that's why I find it important to see that we cannot always have fantastic, pleasant feeling, and we don't have all the time terrible, unpleasant feeling tone, but how can I be with the neutral feeling tone, neither one, neither the other, and just, in a way, rest in it. Have a little break. Just just in a way enjoy. In the same way, one over time on the on this retreat like this can start to enjoy the silence. And the silence is not a nasty silence, but actually it's quite a continual kind silence. And I think neutral I would see a little like that. To kind of just learn to not in a way, jump from one to the other, from pleasant to unpleasant, but to see, oh, there is also that dimension of neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, where I can rest, I can relax, and which because it's in a way less positively exciting and negatively exciting, actually I would say, it allows us to be more present to the world be more, oh, what's happening? To be more open. To be more creative sometimes. One thing I think we have to kind of look at is feeling tone, that contact is in a way, it's a given. You know, I see something. There is a contact with something I see. And most people see the same thing. I mean, if they have a the more of a if everything works relatively properly, you see the same thing. Uh, you see me as Martin Bachelor, and not as a giraffe. I would be surprised that, you know, 10 of you see me as a lion, some as a giraffe, some as Martin Bachelor, some as a kind of, you know, Picasso constructed thing. You know, I generally presume I appear to you more or less the same. Uh, but then, the feeling tone you might get from me, that again depends what association you might have with me, my talks, friends, little funny ladies, or whatever. You know. Personally, I have um, a very good association with, with little old ladies. I have a great fan of little old ladies, so whenever I see one, woo, I'm kind of like, I get a pleasant feeling tone. So you see, I think what is important to see with feeling tone is that they're given. You have the contact, you have the feeling tone. It's very even if it's just neutral, you have a feeling tone. It kind of comes immediately. It's what I call called uh, an omnipresent factor. But what is interesting is that it's at the same time it's constructive. So that actually different things will give to different people different feeling tone. And that's why sometimes there is like kind of this problem I would say with feeling tone. Because somebody is listening to some music. Like you know, some people might be listening to atonal music and think, Mm another thing. I hate this. <laughs> so you have the same contact, but you have very different association, very different Feeling tone association. And so I think that's why we have to be careful with feeling tone to think that my feeling tone is the same as everybody else for the same thing. Because I think often we have that assumption. And that's why people get together according actually to the feeling tone. People who like football, pleasant feeling football, they go to football club, tennis, tennis club, theater, theater. So, in a way, we, I could say, associate by feeling too in a way. And so I think we have to be careful there because sometimes we become so possibly, you know, kind of self-centered that we think, you know, everybody should have my pleasant feeling tone and everybody should have my unpleasant feeling tone. So if I am upset at something and you don't get upset at it, then I get upset, <laughs> because everybody should be upset like me. And that's something, in a way, to, to kind of think to explore. I find it interesting to explore. And sometimes your feeling tone not change. You know, like you had an unpleasant feeling tone with something, and then maybe 10 years later, you're fine with it. You know, like I had a friend in Korea. And in Korea, now it's a bit different, but in the 70s, they really... I barely met cheese, you know, and so, but even kind of like really not smelly, you know, kind of like ordinary kind of plasticky cheese, even that was like the weirdest thing, like really disgusting for them, really disgusting. And so a friend of mine, a Korean monk, decided to work on his feeling tone with cheese. And so what did every day for a week, he ate a little bit, you know, and every day he ate a little more. And by the end of it, it was much better. (laughs) The feeling tone had changed. So to see with the feeling tone that actually it's quite a movable feast, it's quite a movable feast. Also, that if we stay with something, sometimes the feeling tone changes, even with the same thing. You know, like you, let's say you eat ice cream. It's very hot. You eat ice cream. Mm, great ice cream. So you eat ice cream. You eat ice cream, and it's great, pleasant feeling too, until suddenly your whole mouth is frozen, and your teeth become painful, and then unpleasant feeling too. I mean, you have the same thing, but because you continue with it, sometimes it can change for the better, or for the neutral, or for the worse. And that's why I find that, although it's quite subtle, in meditation it's a little tricky to do the awareness of the feeling tone, because a lot of the time it's relatively neutral. That's why it took me so long to do this meditation myself, because I kept trying to do it, and I could not find anything, until I realized I was discovering neutral feeling tone. But I find what is interesting is in daily life afterwards, when the, the tones are a little more accentuated, a little more intense, then to try to, to not, in a self-conscious way, but in a way to, oh yeah, that's what's going on here. Oh yeah, that's pleasant. Hmm, oh, yeah, That's a little unpleasant. And just to, to in a way, become interested in that aspect of our experience. Because I think after that, it will just determine so much, especially of our action. And I think to me, one of the roots, I would say, of ethical conduct actually is how we creatively engage or not with pleasant feeling to. That I think is kind of the key, I would say, to ethical behavior. And then what I wanted to talk a little about too was you have the meditation, the awareness of the feeling tone, but something you can also play a little with, uh, especially as we are on a meditation retreat and generally they won't be so strong, is what I call emotional sensation. And that's not like, uh, that's not traditionally in the Satipatthana Sutta. But to me, it's interesting because you have like what I call the hedonic, the basic kind of building block, pleasant and pleasant neutral. And then we also have uh, in our body this experience, what I would call of emotional sensation. The the emotion are not floating, kind of waiting to get on us. We experience them in our body. But the thing is that with this emotion we experience in the body, often it's kind of like, we experience it and it kind of like takes us. We have such a strong reaction to them, that then we kind of generally go into what I call the naming of them, and then the commenting and the associated history, and then it's easy to go into the proliferation, exaggeration. And what I found which can be very helpful is to be aware time to time not all the time, time to time, to go where we feel, emotional sensation and not go into the naming or the commenting, but go into the body and how do I feel, where do I feel emotional sensation, how are they, are they light, agitated, heavy, what is their texture are they coming and going and then if we kind of start to do this kind of uh, awareness meditation I feel in daily life it becomes a little easier to deal with our emotions because in a way all the emotion we have start as this emotional sensation and then generally kind of spins and then become what I would call disturbing emotion. but at the beginning all these emotions are actually just functions, what I would call the emotional functioning of the organism, let it be fear, let it be anger, let it be low mood, whatever it is, let it be love, whatever it is, it starts as a creative functioning, but then, often over time, It goes again into this habituation. It becomes like an emotional habit. And then we can often go into this emotional habit. We Often we feel little control over it. We just kind of like feel something and then we go into the low mood, the anger, the fear. And then we feel overwhelmed. And often we look at our emotions where they're really intense. And by then it seems to be it's a little late because when they intend the only thing you can do in you know, a is be with it I mean you can I mean I presume you have experience of telling yourself don't be jealous don't be angry don't be afraid and you know your body goes you know. I mean I had that experience when my uh, niece was younger and we went like kind of uh, in the tree, jumping in the tree with the rope, and all these things, now there are all these courses where you can do all these things. And one of the things she wanted to do, age possibly eight or nine, was a thousand jump. And so the thousand jump, she went to the first one, I think it was about two meters, the next one was about four meters, and the last one was about like, I don't know, six meters. I mean it was quite high. And then you flung yourself in net and then you climbed and you were attached. It was all safe. So I am the auntie, I have to be the first one to go. So first one is okay, second one is okay. And the third one, my whole I mean it's like fear. Like here, I there is this fear, my body really, really doesn't want to jump. No way. There is like this kind of I really feel fear. So I mean, I have to, to jump, there is no, I, no, so I do it. And then I climb the, the net, and then I arrive at the thing, and I arrive on the platform. And what was interesting is my mind was fine, I was calm, I was my mind was composed, I was fine, and my whole body was And I could see then the function of fear. I mean, the function of fear is to protect the organism. And the organism was saying, this is a bad idea to jump, you know, six <laughs> meters. Who wants to do that? And then we went another time. And we had to do it again. And this time is like some something in the body-by-complex knew This is not dangerous. So It was still a little tricky to jump. But when I got to the platform, I was really... Bu- hard, brave, I was really fine, really calm, like something understood, this is not frightening. So what I'm trying to say is that our emotions are not just thoughts, they're actually a whole kind of physiological body-mind thing which happens. And so in a way to kind of, how can I be? with these emotions, when I feel them, when they happen? And in a way, how can the meditation help me with it? And I think we have to be careful not to think that if I meditate long enough, I will never be angry. But I don't think that's the idea. And if you look at the Buddha story, I don't know if Stephen mentioned it, but like toward the end of his life, he has a trouble with a cousin, Devadatta wants to take his place, so three times Devadatta says, you know, you old past it, let me guide, you know, be the chief now of the community. And then then the Buddha finally turns to Devadatta, who has insisted three times, and said, Devadatta, I would not even pass, you know, the guidance to my foremost. Disciple Sariputra Mogalana, let alone a uh, can people like you, like you know. So, and it's in the Sutta, in the Pali Sutta. <laughs> and so, what it shows is that the Buddha was not just gliding, you know, never mind, Devadatta, never mind. No, no, no. I mean, he had to put his foot down, you know, and he had to kind of, kind of put. So, I think, is if you take anger, for example, I think it's a function. Anger is there to, you know, we give us energy. It has a kind of a fiery thing. And because it's fiery, this is what is a little problematic. Because, you know, if we fired up with anger, then the fire has to go somewhere. So, generally, it goes into speech, or it goes into action, which the problem when it's so explosive then it makes us do often things which are harmful to ourselves, to others. But anger, if it's what I would call a creative functioning anger, actually can lead you to do a lot of good things. Like kind of, you know, like a, if I think of L'Abbé Pierre in France, who was angry at poverty. He was angry at homelessness. And that anger at homelessness, made him do a lot of good things, creating a huge lot of things for the homeless people. And so that's one person, because he was angry at something, it made him do something. But it was a creative, functioning anger. But often what happens is when, in a way, the anger, I would say, become a habit, in a way. So it's kind of like we, t- be, we are taken over by that energy. And so when it's intense, what we have to see with anger is that when it's intense, we have to be really careful. I mean, of course, we can say it's very hard to stop ourselves from doing something. Anger makes us very impulsive, is that this energy, which has to go out. And so personally, that's why I was saying yesterday, I find it more useful to try to see to not wait till it becomes this major, big, explosive thing. But to kind of see how is it? What happened? We're not always angry. It's not like a, you know, you wake up in the morning and I'm angry. I mean I, I mean I used to be when I was living in a community in England, a Buddhist community. <laughs> and I used to wake up I used to say to Stephen, I am angry. And he used to say, why the bath? And I would say, I have no idea. (laughs) It was just this fire. It was just this kind of, I want to get somebody. I want to get, actually, it was just this energy. And then once I started to see how it worked, then I kind of could more, in a way, successfully see how it worked. But I would say my breakthrough was actually when I stopped going into what I would call the naming, the commenting, and the associating with the anger. So instead of going into the story of the anger, to actually really going into the experience of it. I had an argument with somebody, and then I had to leave the argument, and I had to cook for a a conference. And so I was cutting carrots. And suddenly, I realize I'm I'm, like, I'm really cutting carrots kind of dangerously. So I stop, and then I go inside the body. Instead of going into the story, I go inside the body, and I look. How does it feel, really, this anger? And I realize that my whole body is shaking. But I realize that actually this is painful and i'm doing this to myself nobody is doing this to me i'm doing this to myself and in that moment of seeing it really went it just went and then i looked in my mind and my mind was going i am right she is wrong i am right she is wrong and then I realized she must be thinking exactly the same thing but the other way around. And that's what I, I thought, yeah, I mean we both right, we're both wrong. And I could see how the more you go like this, I'm right, she's wrong, you go more and more, you fix, in a way, the self you fix the story. And so then you have the other level of anger, for example, which is light. And then that's really interesting to look at. When is it? How does it start? You know, you feel, basically you feel a little edgy. You feel a little edgy, a little irritated, a little impatient. How does it feel? Well, you don't feel like, it doesn't matter, I'm fine, not at all. There is this little something, little something, it's kind of like, And because you have this little something, you're looking for something where it could go. You know, because, I mean, you should share it with somebody. (laughs) This is what is interesting with that, And so in a way, to then start to notice back to the condition, how does it feel, when does it happen, what are the contributing factors? And this was one of my main revelations, was that I could become irritable if I was tired, and then I was looking for somebody to have a problem with. Instead, I started to go and rest when I started to notice I was tired, and then I was much less irritable. Same with impatience. If you think you have all the time in the world, then you can do standing meditation in the queue in the supermarket, but if you think that you know you're really late and if you're not there in time, terrible things are going to happen, then I mean impatience, and very quickly, anger and then sh- sh- things can happen. And so in a way to look that we don't feel um, an emotion out of nothing. There is generally a trigger condition and a contributing factor and so in a way the creative awareness to me is also that is the same as with exploring the thought I would say exploring our emotional life and trying to see its shape trying to see its story trying to see the conditions that give rise to it and then it doesn't mean that one will never become angry, but I think it will de-trigger some of the intensity. And I feel over time, that instead of possibly being angry for a week, you might just be angry for a day, or you might just be angry for ten seconds. This is what happened to me recently. I was doing dinner. Stephen was trying to be so helpful, so very helpful, possibly too helpful. (laughs) So I'm making this little dessert, and there is my mixer. I have put some of it, and now I'm planning, as I always kind of get everything. So it's a nice little dessert, and I want to get everything. But in order to get everything, I need to have the spatula. So I put it here go and get a spatula. And then Stephen, being helpful, Take it to wash it. <laughs> so I turn, <laughs> to, and it's in the sink. And I go, ah! and then I kind of laughed. So in a way, it lasted ten seconds. It was more a shock, but it was kind of, how could he do this? And then I could understand how he could do this. He was trying to be helpful. So in a way, you can have it and you can make a big thing of it, or you can say, oh yeah, I can see the condition which makes it to happen. And so it comes, and it goes. But it doesn't mean that the thing will not happen. But the intensity might really diminish. And I would say also the length might really diminish. So we're not trying to stop having emotion. But when we have disturbing emotion, actually, Trying to explore, to not be afraid of them, to so in a way creatively engaging with them. So that's what I say today. This is also, a I will, I to feeling the exactly. I mean everything. In a way, there is nothing you cannot be aware of in terms of the feeling tool. And there is nothing we cannot be aware of just in terms of cultivating awareness. But I was trying to link it to what I have done before, but I would say, yes, what is very interesting, again, is you have a thought, a thought which is relatively very immaterial, but from one thought, you can have such a feeling tool. Or from one memory, you can have such a feeling tone. So, yes, of course. I think this is then what I would suggest is after that to try to be aware of the contact with the thought and, of course, the contact with the feeling tone, of course. In terms of uh, the feeling tone and ethics, I look at it in terms of the Eightfold Path. You have one of the Eightfold Paths is appropriate action. And in appropriate action, the Buddha says, you know, about not killing, about not stealing, about not um, uh, harmful sexual intercourse. And I forgot the another one. never mind. And what I would suggest is that why do we kill somebody? Why would we hurt somebody? Generally, we would hurt somebody because of an unpleasant feeling tone. It's kind of reaction to generally killing is unpleasant feeling tone. Stephen was a Buddhist chaplain, and he met a lot of uh, men in the prison here who would actually be very nice guys, but they had this very low tolerance to unpleasant feeling tones, especially connected to certain things. And then, they would kind of like be so incapable of being with their unpleasant feeling to them then generally they would go and kill somebody because they looked at them funny or said something or whatever it was and there is a very interesting program somebody i know is doing in a prison in america is actually with that when some men uh, I have trouble with when somebody looks at them in a certain way or say certain thing and then react really very quickly, aggressively. And then they do this thing of depotentizing the thing. So the fellow sits in a chair, and then somebody insults him. And he's supposed to sit with it, instead of getting the guy. And he said, over oh, time it works. I mean, with meditation and things like that, it's kind of quite interesting. Uh, And I would say, with stealing, why do we steal? I mean, why would somebody steal? Somebody would steal because they had a very pleasant feeling tone towards something. And so, ooh, I want this. And then they go and get it and they steal it. So that's why I was making the connection. To me, this is in a way vital in terms of ethics. It's kind of like... It's kind of, in a way, not following what the pleasant or the unpleasant feeling tone would, in a way, have the reaction. I don't like something, I push it away, or I destroy it. I like something, I want it for myself. And I think ethic is actually learning to be able to creatively engage with those pleasant and unpleasant and not, in a way, follow them. And there was a question in front. so that Oh I'm, this I'm, Oof. Yeah, uh, this is Stephen. This is Stephen's job. Because uh, <laughs> me, I mean, but no, no, no. I'll um, okay. Let's try to do it quickly, because this is a. You see, the first one is the suffering. So you could say you experience suffering. I would say because of unpleasant feeling tone. Let's say, or because something happens to you which is unpleasant. And then, generally, because we grasp, pleasant or unpleasant, actually, then we proliferate and we exaggerate. And then we add something which causes the suffering. Personally, I think the two are kind of like, they do a bit there, the first two. And then if we understand the first one, I think if we really understand suffering, then we will do less of the grasping. Because we see that if we grasp, we suffer. And suffer leads us also to grasping. I think the two go a little together. So if we understand one more, we understand the other, the better more. And then if there is less grasping, then I would say there is more creative engagement. What you could call letting, letting go. Personally, you can call letting go or you can call creative engagement. I think the two, in a way, are the... The, the each other side of the coin, one more active, and more and more you could call more neutral. But I'll talk more about this tomorrow. And then then that creative engagement is not just kind of like, oh, I'm creatively engaged, I just sit there. Then in a way, the creative engagement you do it in the eightfold path, which is the soul which is um the vision, the intention, the speech, the action, the meditation, as a, and also the livelihood. So that's the way I would kind of, in a way, put them all together, Either kind of quickly. Yeah. Of course, I mean, this is what, I mean, is amazing. I mean, basically, the advertisement industry work totally on the proliferating and exaggerating. They really have totally sussed it out. I mean, they master. They really master of making you grasp. They're wonderful. I mean, uh, it's very clever. They really understand that, and they really understand how it works how they make things glow, you know, and uh, when you get it, it doesn't glow. But the way they present it, it glows, definitely. And um, so, so yeah, I mean, but I think it's for us. You see, this is what is very interesting in terms of advertisement. I mean, I rarely watch advertisement on TV because I don't see the point, but I can see how it works. You think, oh! I want this when you never thought you would need this ever, you know, it's kind of But it's very interesting to see what we do with it When we see it in the magazine when we see it on TV when we hear about it on radio or whatever I mean it's everywhere. It's a major industry and Personally, I think it's good practice. It's really kind of something to practice with Because I think I mean to undermine it. I mean, there is this uh, ad buster. The ad buster are great. I don't know if people know about the ad busters. Oh, they, they, they're a group in America who basically want to bust ass. <laughs> basically, they want to uh, unpack it. They want to deconstruct it. And so they have lots of little action where they do that, or they have a day in the year where... Uh, I mean, I can't remember now the kind of uh, the latest action. But I'm sure if you Google adbuster, you'll see what they are too. But they're basically doing that. You know, how can we deconstruct that so you can always join certain group? Otherwise, is I think our job, our job when we, and to me, that's one of the practice we can do. Of course, we can enjoy being in the countryside, and I enjoyed it too. But I enjoy also to be in town and look, you know, what is the latest thing they want me to find attractive. And will I be attracted by it or not? You know, and how do I do this? And it, then you can do what a uh, uh, seeing meditation. You know, you look at the shop window and see what happens. No, no, it's a good practice. <laughs> <laughs> yes? Yeah. I was talking at the very beginning of the week, and uh, I think it's something you're interested in, of uh, watching how long there's, you know, children come out to be glad. Well, you see, my conclusion is back to the level. You see, that's what is interesting, and that's become like, you see, if if you cultivate the creative awareness, you become more aware of the feeling tone and the different level of the feeling tone, light, habitual, intense. So, generally, when we have a feeling tone, we actually very quickly grasp and proliferate, exaggerate. But if you just stay with what's going on, then actually it helps you to differentiate. And one way to differentiate is just that. How long is it going to last? And if it's a light one, once I had this experience, a little exchange with Steven in the car, and I feel... And instead of amplifying it, I thought, how long is this going to last? Two lights, two red lights. And then it really was gone. <laughs> Another time I had a little thing with a flower lady, buying plants. I kind of, I just was not, sometimes I have problem culturally, you know, I kind of, not uh, with the culture, I miss it, and I look stupid. Or, and so we had a little interaction, and I felt, Ooh. And I thought, how long is this going to last? And this time, When I thought about it, uh, so the feeling was there for, I would say, two hours. Then the feeling was there only when I thought about it for another hour. And then it was not there either. It was not there. Even if I thought about it, it was not there. And I went back to the shop and it was fine. But if the feeling turned, you say, how long is this going to last? and two days later it's still there, then I would say you have to do something about it. You see, this is a way to me which is very important. If it goes, it really goes. And that's, that's been my experience again and again. That if you look at it with creative awareness, creative engagement, if it's light, it just goes. No magnification, no exaggeration, it just goes. But if it continues, it means that something is a problem. There is a problem. There is something somewhere. And then you have to address it. Otherwise, you, be, you go into resentment, and then you go to explore. So I think, to me, that would be the way to calibrate. If it continues, then something needs to be done. And we have to stop here so you can walk a little.